Nate Parrish is a musician, artist, and a massive comics nerd residing in California. Having toured the world and played shows with some of the biggest names in the music industry, from the Huntingtons to For King and Country and Toby Mac, Nate released his album, I'm a Wreck, earlier this year and has a new single coming out at the end of October. Nate, I really enjoyed listening to your album, and from researching you, it's clear that faith is a massive part of your life. How did yeah. you find your faith? Well, oh, you're just going, you're going for it. Right off the right bat. Right in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, you know, I grew up in a, I wouldn't say necessarily a Christian household, but my mom uh, definitely had a really strong faith, and she's very, uh, sticks close to her guns, man. She's got convictions, and so she worked cleaning houses so I could go to a private school. She really wanted me to go to a Christian school. And so uh, I was fortunate to be able to do that. And, you know, you're, you're kind of inundated with all that stuff. And that could make you go one of two ways. You either embrace it or you really don't embrace it. And I sort of sat in the middle, I guess. I, I guess I leaned towards embrace, but I had a lot of questions. Um, and so when I got out of high school, I went to college and I took, I just took classes that were kind of in opposition to my faith. So I took philosophy, I took Eastern religions, I took all that kind of stuff on purpose because I wanted to, if this faith was going to be real, I wanted it to be mine. I wanted, and I wanted it to be tested. And so um, I came out the other side. Yeah, a believer in Jesus. So I uh, did not realize that you had studied philosophy. Well, <laughs> though I <everyone>, shouldn't. <laughs> quote unquote studies philosophy, but it's interesting because uh, that class was really hard. I think a lot of people thought they would take the class and, oh, we're going to like look at poems and stuff. Now, the, the, the uh, philosophy teacher was very difficult, and the class started out, I think it was over 100 people in that class. There's people standing up, and then by the end, there was about 15. Oh, and uh, I was one of the 15. I ended up getting a B because uh, I was really, really interested, and I dove in. And funny, funny thing, I ran into the teacher uh, like 10 years later, mm-hmm. and he always his position was he would never let you know what he really believed because mm-hmm. – that's a you know, mark of a good teacher. He's, he's just teaching you how to think, not what to think, right? Mm-hmm. And so I ran into him at a gym, and I said, all right, dude, I'm graduated. What do you believe in? And uh, it was like this massive letdown. He's like, you know, kind of a little bit of everything, dude. What? He's like, yeah, I'll take some of this teaching over here, take some of what Jesus said, take some of this, throw in some whatevers, and I just kind of you know make my own deal. It's like, okay, cool. Well, that was a waste of time. See you later, See you later dude. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But I really like taking philosophy. It's, it's super fun. Aside from being an amateur philosopher and a, mu- <laughs> and a musician, you weren't always as good as guitar as you are now. I'm actually worse now. So You're worse I, now. I'm in reverse. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I, uh, I actually didn't touch a guitar until I was 18. I really liked music my whole life and... Uh, Played a lot of air guitar and uh, I turned 18 and I was like, I think it's time. Um, I had a buddy who was really good and I figured I'd get a guitar and he could show me some stuff. And I got a guitar and I said, hey, will you teach me uh, this Green Day song? And he said, no, why do you want to learn that crap? It's <laughs> like, okay, um, what would you teach me? He ended up showing me, I baked him. He showed me some power chords and I just kind of went from there. But I like to think I've gotten better over the years. And within a year or so of learning guitar, you were already opening shows for bands. Yeah, so I got the guitar, so that was in November. I think it was by June. I um, had joined a band. 
And so I could play and I was writing songs, but I didn't know like what the chords were called. I didn't know what a key was, anything like that. I just kind of thought, oh, this sounds cool. And uh, I, I joined this band and I remember my, the singer called me on my corded phone at home. And he's like, hey dude, we have a show with the Huntington's. And at that time, and still now, I still love the Huntington's. That was like one of my favorite bands, you know, it was a tooth and nail band. And right. I was like, are, are you like, you mean like a Huntington's cover band, right? He's like, no, no, we're, we're going to open for the Huntington's. I was like, holy crap, I made it. It only <laughs> took me like six months. I already made it. Played the show. I was so nervous, but it went really well. And then we broke up later that week. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, that was cool. <laughs> so my first experience in being in a band, I got the bug immediately and was crushed immediately. <laughs> so you realize how hard it is to actually keep a band going. And uh, obviously that wasn't your last band. You went on to uh, Worth Dying For and then Cutlass, obviously. Some other yeah, bands yeah. in between. Yeah, I had some. Uh, so after that, I, I started another band with a guy. I had a, a psychobilly band, which is kind of a niche genre, sort of like hardcore meets uh, rockabilly. And uh, we wrote some songs, but we never played. They'd always announce, like, coming soon, and we never actually played. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then somehow I, I got into, I moved to Modesto and started going to, and uh, interning at a church. And I, was uh, before I knew it, I was uh, in a worship team and we were writing our own stuff and kind of bringing some of that um, kind of that hardcore scene to some of the worship stuff. And uh, yeah, worth dying for that was the band. And we ended up getting signed somehow and going on tour and doing all that stuff. And that's actually how I met Cutlass. Uh, we did toured with them in 08. And um, yeah, like six years later, James yeah. <laughs> calls me out of the blue. He's like, uh, hey, you want to play guitar and Cutlass? literally how it went and i was like uh yeah sounds good i find that particularly <laughs> hilarious considering yeah. the video you made while on tour with them yeah super ironic so on tour and worth dying for there's you can find them um you know search around youtube but uh, i would make these vlogs and stuff and uh, i made one on tour about me being obsessed with cutlass and like replacing james eventually so they're in it and everything and Colors is in it and Firefly, Thousand Foot Crutch, all these people are in it. And uh, yeah, like six years later, I didn't replace him, I replaced the other guy. So he after he left, after Nick left, yeah. So it's kind of ironic. People now think I'm, I just made that video. I actually was able to find a copy of that video and oh, nice. it is, it's something. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> yeah, it is very weird. I watched it once I and I did not watch it again. No! <laughs> you need to watch it again for all the Easter eggs. All the yourself. Easter eggs? All, all I kept seeing was Trevor McNevin everywhere. Trevor. Yeah, Trevor's all over the place in that one. I love Trevor, man. He's such, you know, you meet a lot of uh, different band guys over the years and, you know, people ask, like, okay, they want to know the dirt, you know, like, okay, who's, like, a jerk, dude? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I can tell you who the, the real ones are. And Trevor's always one of the guys that I mentioned. Trevor and uh, Toby Mac. Or um, a couple of guys that I've met that are just like super. And I actually just talked to Trevor a couple of weeks ago. Um, I did some artwork for him. Do you remember that band FM Static? Yes. He was in. Yeah, I did their second album cover and all the artwork and stuff. Nice. Yeah. So um, yeah, he's a he's a cool dude. Was that the Dear Diary one? Mm-hmm. That is yeah. really cool. Um, yeah, I I didn't know what I was doing. I I mean, I was just a. Uh, 
I did everything um, paintbrush and ink. I didn't do a lot with uh, digital stuff yet. So I just did it all old school um, and would send it, send them, scan it and send it over to uh, Tooth & Nail. Were you a part of their music video, uh, music videos from that album or anything or? Uh, originally I was um, going to help with the animation as far as like with the characters and stuff, but I think they just basically took the characters I created and uh, that style and kind of did it. Nice. Yeah. And awesome. uh, if you hadn't become a musician, where do you think you would have ended up? Yeah, it's hard because growing up, I, all the stuff that I've been interested in is the stuff or been talented at is the stuff that's very hard to make a living at. So music and art, uh, those are like my primary giftings and things I love to do, both very difficult. So I, it's hard to say because somehow, you know, I've been blessed to be able to do both in some capacity for a long time. I had like my, my only quote real job was somehow I got, I got hired as a manager at Hollister. Do you remember that store? It was like a Abercrombie and Fitch sister company. I applied as a joke because I needed a job and they're like, Oh, you'd be a good manager. I was like, I hate that store and I've never worked retail. Let's do it. So I went, an interview just to see what happened and they hired me on the spot and before I knew it I was a manager of a retail store <laughs> so is... <laughs> I did that and that led to a job at Zoomies which I actually really like and, and that was a lot of fun but so I, I don't know man it's hard to it's hard to imagine I, I think the only other aspirations I really had was I collect action figures and I think at some capacity it would be awesome to be a toy maker which is another crazy uh, job to pursue because it's yeah. very difficult to make a living at. <laughs> it's just kind of my deal. You know, I just like to make it hard on myself, but. Struggling artists forever. That's freaking it, man. Aside from music, have you always been in an artistic job? And uh, you kind of already answered that. Kind of, yeah. I mean, um, in some capacity, so my current day job, and I've been here in Bakersfield for about four years, I am the uh, creative slash worship director along with my wife at a church in Bakersfield, uh, Resurrection Church. So still doing, you know, art, video, graphic design, all that kind of stuff here in the in a ministry capacity. So yeah, I, I just kind of find a way to make it work. I don't, I don't know how it happens, but. Was it during the manager or Zoomies phase that you were a tattoo artist? <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, that was after, so after, um, after work dying for we we finished our second album um it was called love riot and really good album actually um and it did well it actually charted on billboards at the time and nice. yeah it's, it's a cool album but uh we got dropped by our label right before that album released so um <laughs> they're like oh cool album we hate it bye and so it kind of made me reevaluate okay well, what am i gonna do now like, that was my job so like i said i was like what am i good at I'm good at art. How can I make money at art on my own schedule? And so I uh, had a buddy who was just happened to be closing his tattoo shop. And I literally just asked this guy, hey, um, can you teach me how to tattoo? And he's been doing it for, at that time, 25 years. And he's like, yeah, sure. So he taught me how to tattoo and gave me all his, his equipment. Hmm. And I just literally started tattooing out of my mother-in-law's, like they had like an extra room. And I did that as my wife was uh, going back to finish school. So it supported us, which is crazy. Yeah. Doing tattoos. I can't believe I did that still. 
I did it for like two years. I think I was able to find one picture of a tattoo you did. Yeah, I was actually not bad. No, it wasn't uh, bad at all. You know, people ask me all the time, like, hey, let me know when you start tattooing or if you ever become a tattoo artist, I want you to do my first tattoo. And so I had all these people. And so I learned, and I hit them up, said, hey, I'm ready. And they just came over and I tattooed them. <laughs> what would be the most recognizable name that you've tattooed? Uh, it's no one's, but it's just all friends. Oh, there was a kind of interesting story. When I was in Modesto, we had a venue. My buddy was the promoter, my roommate. And we brought in August Burns Red right when Jake Lures had joined the band. So that's like 2005 or six. So Jake was new. He came in. We just, you know, hit it off. They would stay at my house a couple of times. And so I had all this weird artwork in my room. And I had this one of a, a sheep that had like a bloody axe. Super weird. And he loved it. He's like, dude, let's get that tattooed on us, both of us, tonight. I was like, okay. So we went to the tattoo shop. We waited there for like, man, it was probably two hours. And we were just watching the guy work. And after a while, we were like, eh, I'm not really feeling this place. We looked at each other and we're like, nah, this ain't the place. So we never did it. So I wouldn't have tattooed him, but I would have shared a tattoo with Jake. But I, we don't talk anymore. He, they got super famous. And so <laughs> that would have been it. But uh, And I offered to tattoo. I played bass once for Aaron Gillespie. And I said, hey, dude, let me tattoo you. I have my helmet here. And he's like, nah, I don't like getting tattooed. But, okay, you have all those tattoos. Okay. <laughs> Understandable. It is fairly painful. Well, and also I'm a complete stranger. So That as well. <laughs> Going back to something earlier, though, when you did join Cutlass, uh-huh. is it true that you got bomb threats on your first tour? Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did a tour in Eastern Europe, mostly Ukraine. And so we did this thing where we wanted to... Uh, do these outdoor shows in like city squares, the Capitol, all that kind of stuff. And we, it's free, you know, we weren't gonna charge, we weren't gonna do churches, it was just gonna be, uh, come see a rock and roll show and then uh, John Micah preaches the gospel in the middle of it, you know? And we played a show, I remember, there's a few things that happened. We played one, um, it was at a parking lot that was like outside of their big mall they had and they were going to, they shut down the mall because someone called in a bomb threat they said they were going to come to the concert and throw Molotov cocktails at us. And we're like, oh, no, is this like an anti-religious group? Who, who, is, it? who is it? And it was a, a church. <laughs> yeah, it was like a Russian Orthodox church or something like that. So something's very, very conservative. Right. Uh, they figured what we were doing was satanic because obviously we have tattoos and we wear black. So um, Tattoos, satanic. drums, and black. Yeah. Dude, Oof. satanic. So... Yeah, you know, it was just a threat. Nothing happened. It was a great show. And, but yeah, that stuff like that happened on that tour a few times. You know, we had guides and stuff. I never felt in danger or anything like that. It was just, it was kind of weird stuff would happen, you know, like we get a phone call and, hey, just stay in your rooms, okay? Uh, okay. And yeah, that was it. <laughs> hey, don't come out of your room until I tell you to. Yeah, it was great though, man. It was, it was super cool. With your album, fantastic album, by the way. I've Thanks. I've listened to it probably 10 times. Oh, awesome. Yeah. One thing I noticed after multiple listens is that mm-hmm. it seems that you write songs to process your thoughts. Yeah. Is that accurate? Absolutely. The project really started because somehow I had found myself in the Christian music world. I'm not opposed to it. It's just I never thought that's where I'd be, you know, kind of growing up being in punk rock bands and mm-hmm. psychobilly bands and everything that's not a typical Christian genre. Right. Uh, but somehow, you know, I'm 
or time for a kingdom cutlass. Like, how did I do that? The years had gone by and I realized, man, I, I haven't really sat down and just like written whatever came out of my mind for the sole purpose of just writing it. You know what I mean? It was always like writing a worship song and then thinking, okay, can I sing this on a Sunday morning? Are people going to relate to it? Whatever and stuff you have to think about mm-hmm. for corporate worship or whatever. And I had, it's been, it had been so long since I just sat there and wrote and it was just me saying what I wanted to say and processing my thoughts. It was about May of 2019. I had just done this art project. So I had this chunk of money and I just used it to buy a, a little home setup so I could record at home. Cause I knew the only way I was going to do it is if I could just, just sit down and do it myself. And so um, I started, I would literally sit down and get the guitar and uh, I would just press record and I would just start pounding out chords or whatever. And if I'm like, Oh, that's a cool progression. And I would hum a, a melody and play the melody on guitar. And then the lyrics, I had a notebook of just stuff, you know, that I had thought and just written it down. And I, I would look through and find the, something that I had written and be like, Oh yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to sing about this. This is relevant or um, something would you know, happen in my world and I would write about it. And I just made a decision that I was going to write uh, whatever I wanted to. I uh, wasn't going to think about potentially offending someone or catering to someone. I just was going to write whatever. And that's why, you know, the project's Nate Parrish, which, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't have chosen necessarily to call it Nate Parrish. It's like the coolest band name in the world, but it's, it's me. I didn't have like a, you know, like a cool band name to go with it. It's just, it's me. Right? Yeah, so, it's, so. There's no filter. It's just coming straight yeah. from you. Exactly. Yeah. And two of my favorite songs on the album, House of Mirrors and Politicians and Celebrities. Some of the most politically charged on the album. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's weird. I, I, don't, I, I don't, I guess I didn't really consider myself a political person. I don't get into Facebook debates or I don't uh, um, make a big deal about who I'm voting for. I don't think I've ever said once in my life anything about, like, I'm going to vote for this person. I just don't do that. I just not. I think we give it a lot more weight than it really deserves, to be honest with you. And so Politicians and Celebrity, that was actually the first song I wrote for this project. And it was because, it very bluntly, like I was just sick of both. And how much, not that they're bad people necessarily, or if you're an act, uh, a celebrity that you can't be a good person or you shouldn't say what you think. I just think that the rest of us shouldn't care that much or at all, frankly. And so. That's what that song was about. And then House Made of Mirrors is, is was a just a commentary on what I had noticed taking place over the last it's you know, it's been it's been going like that for a year for years, hundreds of years of since the beginning of time and we see someone we disagree with or someone that's different than us and, and it's easier just to write them off as opposed to ask why. And I think more and more in our society, we are so like just set on categorizing the people we disagree with putting them in a group and then just writing them off. Like, nope, you're against me because we're not the same and uh, I don't even want to talk about it. And it's super dangerous to do that. That's not how you actually progress in a society. So that's that's what that song is about, just addressing that. Um, There's a line where it says, we sharpen our teeth for the reply and the scraping sound is all we hear. Because I don't really think we hear other people anymore. I think we're just waiting to say something back, so. Yeah, and this pandemic has really heightened everything. No oh, one's gosh, getting outside yeah. of their bubble. It's made everything tenfold worse. Absolutely. You, you know, like you ever get in a, a fight with someone or you think, you know, not even getting in a fight with them, but you just see something that someone's posted like on Twitter and you're like, oh man, I would say this. 
And then you think, okay, but if I saw him in person, would I actually say that? Nine times out of 10, it's a no. You know, we're, we're real tough guys behind a, a screen. But with the pandemic and like this further separation and withdrawal, we kind of self-radicalize because we don't hear opposing opinions. We're not open to it, but we have, now we don't see them. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, we're really just living in our own caves. And then we emerge to say something, you know, on Twitter that's just crazy because we're just like these, we're like, we turn into Gollum basically. <laughs> and the precious is like our opinion and we're just obsessed with it. And we're, and we're scared that someone's going to try to challenge it or change it or take it. And we just become these little golems, you know, emerging from the darkness. And that's where Twitter, that's what Twitter is. <laughs> so. <laughs> and um, you've kind of let us in on your creative process just a little bit, mm -hmm. but how exactly do you proceed? You write the lyrics. What comes next? Do you do the music? Do you do the art? So uh, it's different for different songs. Uh, I think the, the formula, if you will, that I probably use most is I'll sit down and I'll start with chords. Uh, I like to write a progression. There's another thing I, I try to do with this stuff is keep it simple. I don't want to do too much because there's always, you know, oh, what if I add another guitar harmony here? Or what if I mm -hmm. add four more pick slides to this part? You know, there's, there's so many stuff you can do, but I'm really trying to keep it simple and let the, the message and the melody come through. So a lot of times I keep the progression the same for the entire song, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like a hearkening back to, um, you know, the uh, Johnny Cash songwriting and stuff like that, where it's just three chords for the whole song, but somehow... He keeps it interesting because you mm -hmm. use dynamics and melody changes and stuff like that. And social distortion is another one of my influences that they do that a lot. They'll they'll do the same progression for the whole song and you won't really notice because of the songwriting is so good. And so I try to, you know, not go overboard with, with making it too crazy. I want to keep that those punk roots. But I'll write a progression and then I'll uh, track that and then I'll do like a, uh, usually like a lead line to, to kind of pick out a melody that I might sing. And then I, what I do is I, uh, I'll export that and I'll actually play it in the car while I'm driving and I'll sing stuff to it. Like I was working on one today, I was just driving around singing the guitars that I had tracked whenever I get to a stoplight. Uh, if I, a lot of times I have thoughts when I'm driving, I'll uh, text it or voice text or whatever. I'll just make sure I take it down in notes and the songs kind of go from there. You know, sometimes it's weird. Like he'll be just singing a song and words will just come out and you don't know where they came from. Okay, I don't know why I was saying that, but it works. And sometimes you just stick with that and develop that. Like politicians and celebrities, for example, was very, very straightforward. I had uh, the chords. I played the melody on guitar. And then I was like, I need to write a song about politicians and celebrities. And that's what I'll call it. <laughs> so, yeah, and that just kind of goes from there. So you recently you announced that you'd signed with Indivision Music. And yeah. you'll be dropping a new single later this month. Yeah. Can we expect more of the same punk influence societal commentary as I'm a Wreck? So the interesting thing about I'm a Wreck is technically I started writing that album and my first single was released in June of last year. So it's already, some of the songs are already over a year old. Mm -hmm. So I've been writing pretty much nonstop since. So I, I have in some capacity another full album of songs that are, if not done, you know, mostly done. And so I reached out to Brandon from IndieVision just to ask his opinion. Hey, I got some songs, what do you think? And he's like, well, I'd love to 
put out whatever you want to put out next. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So um, the song Bullets and Blades, you know, typically when you release an album, you kind of want to sit on it, you want to wait, you, you want to let people digest it first before you bring out another pizza. But I just feel like times are so crazy. And not that I have like this important voice, but I, I for me, even if it's just for my, my own sanity, like I have this stuff that I need to get out. I want to keep creating. And so, uh, yeah, I was like, I just want to put out a song right now. Um, it kind of addresses the, you know, kind of the, the war that we're put in. And I just want to put that out. And uh, we'll, we'll do probably an EP in 2021. I might wait till like spring-ish. It's hard because like a lot of the songs are done or, you know, like I said, kind of done. And so I'm like, oh yeah, I just want people to hear it. Yeah. But they haven't even heard my first album. So <laughs> yeah, the waiting game is tough. But um, I figured, you know, if I could release a single and then, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. You get production help from your brother-in-law? Yeah, I do. Uh, so Rachel's brother, Matt, uh, Math Bishop, he works for a producer named Jackknife Lee in uh, Los Angeles. He has a Grammy for like, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb from U2. They've worked with, man, tons of bands. AFI, Neil Diamond. They did some work on... Uh, Taylor Swift's Red Album. So my brother actually has a Grammy nomination for that. Uh, he's an engineer for this producer. Nice. So he's great. And he's super, super chill dude. I've worked with him for a long time. Me and my, my wife did a worship album about five years ago that we did with him at Rachel's grandma's house. <laughs> so, so basically, I will track stuff at my house and then I'll send it to him and he mixes and, and masters. So he mixed and mastered that whole first album. I think he did a, a really good job. And with that latest album you released, you pretty much did music video for every song. Pretty much. That was another commitment I made was I was going to release a single and a music video every month. So for the first, I think I released six singles total. And almost everyone had a video. I think I skipped uh, Christmas because I did permanence around that time and I didn't do a video right. for that. But yeah, I really like making music videos. I have a group of friends. So in the video, you'll see... Uh, the drummer, bass player, and guitar player. So the bass player, Jason, he actually is tracked on the album. He'll play bass on most of the songs and play some BGBs. The other two guys are friends of mine. We play in worship together on Sunday mornings, but um, they haven't tracked the album. I track all the guitars and everything. And the drums are actually done mostly by Ethan Luck. He's like, this red. Yeah, he's played for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, our group of guys, we get together on Mondays and we watch like really bad horror movies, usually on VHS. <laughs> Uh, just for the nostalgia of it. And that's my group of guys. So uh, my buddy Andrew, he helps me with the videos. So like the video for Monsters is is actually shot in actual VHS. It's not a filter. Okay. It's an actual Panasonic uh, wow. camcorder. Because <laughs> we, we have an affinity for like old school movies with like practical effects and fog machines and things like that. So yeah, so I just love it. It's another you know way to bring some artistic vision into the, into the music. Right. Have you ever had the idea to animate a music video? Yeah, actually, um, so Bullets and Blades, I really wanted to do a music video. So I don't know if you saw the little teaser. So I animated that. And so I'm thinking I'm going to do this next one as an animation, uh, maybe like a hybrid, like half you know footage of us playing or me playing and then some animation. But yeah, that's always been a thing I, I really want to do. It's just, you know, it's time consuming and not all the songs like lend towards an animation, but right. uh, Politicians and celebrities have some animation in it, but yeah, I, th I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go, go for it. 
with everything that you do, how has the quarantine affected it? Quite a lockdown in California, as I understand. Yeah, lockdown uh, in California is different. Um, the good news is, as soon as we figure out the cure for death, uh, we will be able to go That's outside. Jesus, again. though. So, uh, <laughs> oh, no, Gavin Newsom's deciding it, so it's, it's not Jesus. Oh, okay, so, sorry. Uh, it's some sort of, I'm sure it's some sort of uh, medicine. So it's a little different here, obviously, but uh, the quarantine, it's a, it's a scary thing. Actually, the song Hope, which is the last song on the album, it was not on the album. I wrote it in April, kind of in the thick of the quarantine. <laughs> I had another song that was going to be on the album, and I scrapped it, and I wrote and recorded Hope and put it in on the, on the album. That song was written in, in direct uh, kind of reaction to the quarantine and just all the other terrible stuff that happens on planet Earth during this during 2020. But um, yeah, so that was a positive thing that came out of the quarantine. But it uh, it definitely allowed me to you know focus in on you know the album and finishing it. I wish I could get out and play shows. That's a huge bummer. But hopefully soon, man. Uh, hopefully soon we'll get out and play. It's cool doing like the whole quarantine style thing. But yeah, it's not the same. You also had uh, quite a momentous. Thing happened in your life during the quarantine. I did. You became a father. I became the father. Yeah. Uh, my son Bishop was born in July 26, and uh, he's cute as a button. Yeah, man, that's that's pretty crazy too. I, you know, we we had been married for a while, and we weren't really. We were kind of like, if we have a kid, that's cool. If we don't, that's cool too. And it was weird too because I I have the song on the album, "Things My Father Taught Me." It's just ironic now, right? Yeah. <laughs> I made that music video and then I found out I was having a kid like a month later. Yeah, so uh, maybe he'll make an appearance in the music video. Maybe that's what I'll do with the, ne the next music video, honestly, and it'll be hugely popular. It'll just be a video of him being cute. <laughs> I think I'll just do that. I'll get a million streams. Dude, dude he's cute. I know everyone says, oh, my baby's cute, but for reals, dude, my baby is cute. You mentioned how long you've been in the music game, the music mm -hmm. industry, and as the ever-struggling artist, has it become easier or harder with the introduction of the streaming services and the ease of which people can access and find your music to either get people aware or just make money? Oh, the, the money thing is just, it's not, it's, I don't even consider it, to be honest with you. <laughs> so I, uh, I know, so when I did this project, I was, you know, I, I paid for it myself. Um, I have no intentions of making money uh, with it. It'd be cool, but I just was like, yeah, this is purely, it's going to sound cheesy, but it's purely for the love of music uh, and, and creating. So uh, I don't have aspirations of making money um, like that off music, but um, with streaming and stuff, you know, I, it's weird. This album, I figured no one would hear it, to be honest with you. I got CDs made and I did its full production on it. Like I just, cause I wanted to do it, you know, I'm going to do it. I want to do it. I, all that stuff. And, uh, just asking people, Hey, uh, you want to check out my album? Uh, maybe give it a review. And I get, I, people responded to me and I got feedback and it was all really positive. I was actually really surprised. Indivision was one of the ones I had emailed them a few times and it didn't respond. And I was like, that's weird. Uh, I, cause I was like, I think they'll like this because I've been following that website for a long time. My other bands were in it all the time. Hmm. And so I was like, I think they're going to dig this. And I heard nothing. So I tried on Instagram randomly one night and Brandon listened to it and he wrote 
this review is just like glowing review and it blew me away. I was like, wow, you, you like it. That's great. Um, and then other websites started paying attention and was getting reviewed and podcasts and stuff. So in a way, um, for me personally, as a person who uh, is not living off of music, it's been good because I just want people to hear it. Honestly, I don't care how I just want people to hear it and I want to be able to keep doing it. And so if you want to buy a CD, that's rad. That helps me literally just produce the next song. So yeah, man, it's, uh, I think it depends who you ask, you know, like bands that are doing it full time and that's their job. Like I'm not touring, obviously Carlos is not touring right now, but, um, it, it hurts you. It does for sure. Um, it's just easy to, as an artist, you know, it's easy to assume that, Oh, you're an artist. You just draw pictures. It's fun, right? Why would you charge me for fun? It's like, yeah, it is fun. It also takes 12 hours, you know, <laughs> or, uh, Oh, music. You just, yeah, music. I could just rip it off some website. It's just music. Yeah, it is just music. But I also paid like to get it on these websites or I paid a musician to play for it or, you know, I paid to get CDs made. You know, I think people forget that sometimes they think it's just like magic. You just write a song and somehow it gets produced and on the internet. Some people have no concept of why you need to pay for music. Yeah. And you know, if you like a band, dude, um, buy their stuff. It, it, and if you want to continue to hear from them, you got to support them. You know, it's no one is giving us hands out handouts. No, nope. there's no, there's no bailout for musicians. None of that stuff. We just want to rock, man. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of your core audience, I believe would be in America. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot, but also a lot in, um, uh, Brazil. I was looking at my demographics, you know, checking out the demographics. You gotta, you gotta stay on top of these things, the analytics, you know, just seeing where the audiences are. Yeah. United States, but, but Spain is like a close second. Interesting. Yeah. Canada, Australia, United Kingdom. So yeah, like I said, it's without streaming and, and all that kind of stuff, I don't think they would hear it, but there you go. So there's an upside to it for sure. Uh, for the whole supporting the artists, I love buying digital. I also, yeah. I still love a physical CD. That's, that's my favorite thing. Physical CD, vinyl, in my hands. I love it. The inserts, nice. like people spend a lot of time on the inserts and mm-hmm. just making the album look nice. So I like to, yeah. I like to see that. And plus sometimes there's fun little things in there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with, we were asking about the artwork before, uh, when, when does the art, artwork come into play? Um, so each song on the album has its own icon. You know, they all have their own um, logo, I guess you could say. Right. And so I took time doing all that. And so in the CD, um, it's like a digipack. So it has all those little icons in there and it has like all the lyrics and everything. It's just That was one of my favorite things about uh, getting a CD was, was reading all the lyrics and then seeing who played what and then what bands they like. You know, that's how you mm-hmm. found other bands. Yeah. So like, <laughs> oh, you like this band? I'll check them out. But... Um, and just as an artist, I wanted to, it's just another way to um, be creative with the music. So I definitely got uh, physical CDs made. I actually have one vinyl at home. Um, I'm working on it. Uh, okay. Vinyl is something I definitely want to do. That was one of my dreams was to have my album on vinyl. And uh, so I have one right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm working on how to make that available um, because vinyl is pricey, you know? And uh, yeah. So definitely trying to make that work and um, 
that's uh, that's something that I love to buy. But as a Canadian, uh-huh. I hate to buy because shipping is so darn expensive. I Dude. went I went to check out. I was actually going to buy your album just before this. Like, okay. buy a physical copy. Shipping is seventy dollars. On my Etsy store. On the Etsy store, it's just about no, seventy bucks. No, hey, just give me. No, we'll work it out. We'll talk off air. Okay. Okay. We'll take care of it. Back to the interview. Oh yeah. <laughs> At the beginning, I said there would be two or a few, just random questions, that yes. completely derail the entire yeah. interview. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> was it the, was it shipping to Canada? Was it was one? not. <laughs> it was not shipping to Canada. Okay. Um, so I know that you have a love of filet fish oh, Where did that come from? And how many do you think you could eat in one sitting? All right, this is, this is a great question. Um, so growing up, I loved seafood, fish specifically, because someone told me, I don't know who, that it, was, it makes you smart. Don't know where that came from, don't know if that's true. Could look it up, I choose to just believe what I believe, like most people. But uh, so filet of fish, I was like, oh, I love McDonald's, obviously. I'm American. They have a fish sandwich. Let's do this. And I legitimately think it's delicious. Like I know a lot of people are grossed out by it. It's one of those love it or hate it things. But I love filet of fish. Now, here's the thing. I haven't had one because I'm trying to not uh, die early. Um, I haven't had one in probably 10 years, maybe. But... If I was going to slam some filet of fish without exaggerating or trying to be cool, I think legitimately I could eat four. Four? I think okay. I could do four, and I don't, and I think I would still, I would only hate myself a little bit. Okay. How much, so, how many have you eaten in one sitting? Just two? Two. two? two. Okay. Yeah. I, so <sighs> McDonald's is like one of those, it's no, I don't know if a lot of people set out to say, all right, today, I'm going to just ruin my day with McDonald's. Like, I'm just going to go to McDonald's and eat the worst food ever. Somehow, it happens. You're hungry. You got to be somewhere. McDonald's is always literally there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, they're going to do it right. And I'll throw in that their Cokes are better than everyone else's Cokes. Yes. Is that right? You noticed that, right? Yep. Okay, it's a thing. I, I used to think it's just me, but finally asked them one day, I was like, all right, I got to know, why are your Cokes better than everyone else's? And they said, we have this thing called the gold standard, where they actually have people come in from Coke and calibrate their machines mm. um, often. And so there you go. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Coke is it's, fantastic. Coke, Coke is fantastic. And if I go to a restaurant and I say, hey, do you guys have Coke or Pepsi? And the dude says Pepsi, legitimately almost uh, get, walk out. Yeah. I'm like, it's part of the thing, right? Like, yeah. if you have a filet of fish or four, you need a Coke to go with it. If it's a Pepsi, it's like, I'll just forget it. I'm not yeah, gonna, what am I going to do? It. Hand this to the cop in the middle of the protest? <laughs> that was a commercial, right? How long was that commercial on TV? 28 seconds? <laughs> Aired twice and people were like, mm, nope, better pull that. <laughs> Everyone lost their mind. Yeah. Hey, question yep. for you. Yes. I played in Canada a few times. One time I was there. Someone told me that the Coke tastes different. It might. And I got a bottle, and I think it did. It might. Coke does taste different in different countries. I do know that. 
Okay. Um, like we have our Coke, but we also some restaurants typically like Mexican restaurants will import oh, yeah. Mexican Coke. Yes, that's definitely a thing. Because it's better. Mexican Coke is a thing. Um, yeah. Like they'll tell you, we have Mexican Coke. It's just better. And then uh, you guys got the uh, the ketchup chips was another thing. That oh, yeah, we got gotta, ketchup chips. We love them. You got to try the ketchup chips. Oh, we went in there. Um, you know, we're like, okay, Canada, take us to a restaurant that's like your food. And the guy was like, we don't really have that, but uh, we do have ketchup chips. Oh, cool. <laughs> Bring it on. Did you... Um, because you've been in Canada once, twice, I don't know how many times. I don't know, like three or four times. Have you ever been to any of our uniquely Canadian restaurants? Oh, I don't think so, man. I like. The, have you been to uh, Swishalay? <laughs> no. Heart, no like, I, I like that name, though. Swishalay, it's, uh, our nickname for it is Christian Chicken. Uh, because oh. like after every single service, they just go to Swishalay. Wait, say it? Christian Chicken, Swishalay. No. Not Chick-fil-A. Not Chick-fil-A. We have some places do have Chick-fil-A up here. Where I am, I've never had Chick-fil-A before. Oh, wow. Where, where are you? I'm in London. So it's just about two hours away from Toronto and two hours away from Detroit. Oh. Okay. So, okay. Well, wow. We need to, maybe when I send your CD, I'll send some chicken strips. Because <laughs> I thought you were saying, legitimately thought you were saying Chick-fil-A with a French accent. No. Swishalé <laughs> <laughs> is not uh, Chick-fil-A. Okay. No, I can, I can definitely... Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I, can, I can hear it now that you say that. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this guy's messing with me because then you're like, it's Christian chicken, which is what we call it in America. Right, right. Yeah. No, this, wow. is, uh, this is rotisserie chicken and ribs. Oh, but, but it's open on Sunday. Open on Sunday. It's just because church people go there after church to eat lunch. Heck yeah. And, no, uh, <laughs> I, I think the last time I was in Canada was we did a tour with Disciple and it was 20, it was 2018, I guess. And uh, we did play a couple shows in Canada, but probably Toronto. No, I don't know, dude. One of them was super rural. Like it was out. Oh. In the, we didn't get to do Canada. We didn't get to like do anything. Right. You know right. what I mean? We showed up and we got, we played and then I think I went to the gym there. <laughs> um, but that was a, yeah. there's a, one restaurant called Harvey's. It's a burger oh, yeah. joint. You've been there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we, we, that, I think if I remember correctly, we, because after, you know, a show, you're starving. Yes. And um, they're like, hey guys, we got you some, uh, some deli meats. Like, oh, cool. I'll eat the whole tray <laughs> myself. So we tried to find a place. And I think we went there. Did you do drive through or walk in? I, I don't think we did drive through because we were in the tour bus. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Makes yeah, I don't think that would have worked. But we did actually we did it once. I forget what restaurant it was, but we did do a drive through and they were super nervous. <laughs> I I feel that. Uh I only mentioned Harvey's because I have a friend who is Canadian but lived most of his life in Europe. And when he got back to Canada, he didn't understand the concept of Harvey's. because uh, wow. most restaurants you go in, you're like, Oh, I want that burger and they make that burger. Sure. Harvey's is uh, unique in the way that since forever, it's basically been you go up, you say, OK, I'll have that. They get the burger and then you tell them exactly what to put on it. It's like a Chipotle of burgers. Right. It's kind of like a subway situation. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, 
I, I love the concept. It's great. You get to make it yeah. your way. Harvey's makes your hamburger a beautiful thing. I've never able to find a second source, but you roller skated at one point. Where did you even see that? Yeah, I dive deep. Dang. Yeah, I had, um, me and my buddies had this thing called Skate Squad. And uh, we, <laughs> my poor pastors, dude, they're just, <laughs> they, we would make videos. So he's like, Nate, we want you guys to do, do like a fun announcement video. And so, of course, I can't just be like, hey, join us for laser tag. I have to do a whole production. So uh, me and my buddies, we all wore short cutoff shorts with roller skates. And we filmed ourselves in a van. We waited till like all the kids got out of school because they'd all go to like a, a gas station across the street. We rolled up in a van that had like a stereo cranked, turned up the music, kicked open the doors and like just started skating like in formation and around. It was just like the worst thing ever. Um, does this video exist anywhere? It does, it, it does, but I, my buddy has it and I haven't been able to, to get it from him. I really need it. He's, we did a bunch of stuff like this. So basically we'd be skating around skate squad. And then at the at very end, we'd be like, Hey, this youth event is happening. It was like <laughs> the least effective way to get information across. But, um, I almost got ran over by a car cause the skates I had were my buddies and his feet are two sizes too small. So I couldn't really skate, and so I fell down in this car and almost ran me over. It was tight. Was it roller skating or rollerblading? I can't rollerblade. Um, so it was, it was a, mine was, was the, pure quad, quads, roller skates. Okay, okay. Wow. Yeah, that's when, funny. I don't even know where you would find that. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, no. I mm. Dang, dude. <laughs> You're reminding me of stuff that I did. I don't even remember. Like the tattoo thing, I was like, oh, yeah. I can do that. <laughs> So I don't know if you've uh, been to my website or not. If you have, you might know what the next question is. In a fight, who would win? An emu or an ostrich? How dare you? You're going to make me choose an emu? An emu or an ostrich? Oh, so when you say emu, you are you referring to the second largest bird native to Australia? Yes. While the ostrich, for example, just happens to be the largest bird native to Africa. Yes, I'm referring to so the largest to? one, uh, the largest native <laughs> African bird, and the emu who won a war against the Australian government. Wow. And the emus, uh, of course, as, as you know, have three toes, and they can reach up to 30 miles per hour. But the ostrich, on the other hand, has two toes, and they can reach up to 40 miles an hour. Oh, that's interesting. Emus have actually displayed, in their uh, war against Australia, they displayed advanced war tactics <laughs> with scouts i'm dead serious with what? they had scouts they had calls they defeated the australian government in a battle and they couldn't even hold a weapon so where were the ostriches when this was going on uh probably on a different continent so the ostriches just kind of stay out of it then the ostriches were like you know what it's a little far to, you know, to australia you guys, you guys can handle this but then i'm gonna say I guess I'm going to go with emus. Uh, obviously, they they are battle proven. They are. Uh, they have uh, well, they have the three toes. Uh, they are slower, but they have an extra toe. They're slower. So that's always nice. Shorter and lighter. And ostriches. And I've had ostrich meat before, huh? like a little beef jerky stick, and it is delicious. So maybe that. I mean, based based off of what I've heard here, I think I have to go with the emus because it sounds like they have a strategy on their side. They're smaller, but I mean, 
the little guy can win if he's got a strategy. I mean, David beats Goliath, right? Hmm. So, you know it is. That's a yeah. That's actually a very a wise choice, because as as you know, the emus, they have claws on their toes, about six inches long, which is pretty scary. Hey yo, like a velociraptor. Yeah. They're um, they're actually pretty scary, like those giant birds. Yeah. <laughs> so I read so I read the Johnny Cash book years ago. Okay. And I rem- remember this part in his book, his autobiography, that I no one has re- I was I didn't expect it to be in the movie, but no one has referenced it. He was attacked by an ostrich. Interesting. And they're like, yeah, cut him or whatever. And so I remember reading that in the book. It sounded pretty serious, but I was like, oh, when they, in the Walk the Lion, I wonder where they're gonna show him being attacked by an ostrich. <laughs> um, they for some reason left that out. So I don't trust I don't trust those giant birds. Ever looked into a bird's eyes? They're soulless. They're soulless. You don't know what they're thinking, and I they're, can't trust that. Their bones are hollow. How can you trust that? Yeah, I can't trust it at all. Thank <laughs> you for taking the time to sit down with me and do this um, conversation, interview. It's kind of gone off the rails a couple times. No, dude, <laughs> we, made, we, made our own, we made our own rails. We made our own rails. And yeah, man. I, 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 thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> and you have the new single coming up on? October 23rd on all digital platforms through Indie Vision Music. Yeah, I have a new single, Bullets and Blades. Same rock and roll, punk rock stuff that you've, if you've heard my music, you'll expect a little more grit, a little more, uh, a little more urgency. But yeah, it's a fun song. Looking forward to that. Thank you for yeah. your time.